Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to I Communicate, the Mindset Go Radio Show. Good to be here with you. And boy, I got to tell you, I got a lot to talk about today. I had, this past weekend, I had the experience of taking a friend of mine out to purchase a car or to lease a car, I should say. And in a span of four hours, I had four um, annoying experiences with different salespeople and different dealerships. And, you know, this show today doesn't just relate to you if you've ever bought or leased a car. It talks about how to treat people. It talks about how to service people and how to manage expectations, set expectations, and at a broader level, understand the messages you're sending with the actions you take. So I'm going to start out by prefacing my comment by saying, you know, for me as a customer, I want a buying experience. You know, when I go to buy something, I'm going to be a little facetious and say I want to be wined and dined, but I really don't need to be wined and dined. I, at bare minimum, don't want to be treated like a number. And one of the things we're going to talk about today are are buying languages. Like we're going to talk about what kind of buyer you are. You know, what is your personality when you go to buy something, especially a big ticket item like a car? I mean, certainly to the extent of buying a house, things like that. You know, what kind of buying experience are you looking for? Because you are looking for a certain experience. We all are looking for a certain experience. And part of picking the right salesperson, realtor, is understanding the kind of person that you like to work with and what are the characteristics and qualities that you like to work with. Now, I'm going to start out by giving one of the examples I encountered. And this is not unique to the car industry by any stretch, but it is, this is a show about communicating with people, right? I communicate. How can we most effectively communicate with others? And this is something I've noticed in certain buying experience and really, really rubs me the wrong way. So I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll explain to you why it bothers me so much. So we go into this first dealership, and we walk in, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this. The first thing we're asked to do is we sit down with the salesperson, so he pulls out his little uh, marketing card, and now we have to volunteer all our personal information, your name, your email, your phone number, your address. So the first part of this interaction with a stranger with a person I don't even know who's the seller and I'm the buyer is I have to volunteer personal information. Why? So the seller gets their agenda satisfied. So if he then wants, he or she then wants to reach back out to me after the fact and bombard me with marketing emails or call me about whether I want to buy the car, they now have what they need to fulfill their agenda. Jasmine, think of, I don't even know if I can say this, but think of how ass backwards this is. So you're starting oh, off, crazy. right? You're starting off an experience and the experience starts out as the buyer where I need to do something for you as the buyer. Right. And it comes back to all those, like you go online and you try to buy something and you have to create an account for every exactly. single different place. Exactly. That's a great example, Jasmine. And so, so the thing I think about is right off the, right out of the gate, 
Why do car dealerships do that? Why do the online places do that, like Jasmine just alluded to? We know why. It's because they want to take advantage of an opportunity when it's right in front of them so they can capture data. Here's the thing, right? If I come into your dealership and you want to capture data from me, I may be willing to give you that data, but I need to see the value in giving you that data first. And so my friend and I, we had this example, right, in a Kia dealer, okay? Now, let me just explain to you how this played out. The Kia dealer did not ask for our information up front, okay? So we were in the Kia dealer. We went in and we said, hey, we're looking for a Kia Telluride. And so this was another pet peeve of, of, of this weekend. So we spent about 15 or 20 minutes with this representative only to find out that at the end of the 15, 20 minutes that the Tellurides are in such high demand that there's a four-month waiting period to get the car. So I thought to myself, geez, I wonder if you could have told us that up front before we had invested the 15 to 20 minutes. But here's the point I'm making in telling that story. Remember, I said she hadn't asked us for our information. So now imagine as we're walking out of the dealership, the person said, hey, let me, get your, let me get your phone number and email because if you're that interested in the car, would you like me to reach out if it does come in a lot sooner? And then I might say, yeah, as a matter of fact, that'd be great. But as a seller, if you start out an interaction with me by demanding I give you information up front, that doesn't feel right. That isn't right. Now, I have to sell my services And I would love that to happen. You know, when you look at email communication in business, why do so many companies use email marketing softwares like Constant Contact or MailChimp? Well, the reason why they use them is because then they can see if you've opened or clicked on the email and they can understand what interaction took place. I get that. I do that too. I get it. When you just send a regular email in Outlook or through Gmail, you can't necessarily see what, what communication has happened with the generic versions of those? So the fact of the matter is, what is the buying experience you're looking for and why would you want to start it out not only asking the seller, or excuse me, asking the buyer for something, but never mind asking the buyer, asking for their personal information, which everybody wants to guard because they are worried about telemarketers and spamming and so on and so forth. It's just so wrong. Yet so many dealerships and so many businesses still do it. So what do we want to, how do we want to start a relationship with a buyer and seller? Well, I, when I work with dealerships and I do training, here's one of the things I always recommend they consider asking at the beginning of an exchange. And that is, What stage of the buying process are you at? Remember, so many things have changed now. There are so many online resources for people to do research and due diligence ahead of time. So the old days where you needed to educate, you know, where Kelly Blue Book was like your only resource 10, 20 years ago, that if you were buying or leasing or renting or selling a car— Kelly Blue Book was like the go-to resource. There are, now there's a hundred things like Kelly Blue Book. So when you're a salesperson and there's so many opportunities for be, people to be educated ahead of time, 
why would you assume or not assume the information people know or the stage of their buying process they're at? So for instance, if a dealer says to you, hey, you know, before we get started today, could you give me an idea of what stage of the buying process you're at? Here's some examples of answers I might give as the buyer. I might say, to be honest with you, I'm just looking to do due diligence today. I'm not looking to buy. I'm looking to, I've narrowed down the cars I'm interested to three different brands, and I just want to understand the pros and cons of each brand. Okay, well, now you know. If you say, actually, I've narrowed it down, Honda is the absolute car I want. However, I'm not sure which kind of Honda I want. Today, I'm looking to differentiate between the different Honda choices I could have. Or, I've done all my research and due diligence, and I want to just get right down to pricing and negotiate. I mean, those are three examples of answers that you could give as the buyer. But as the seller, if you don't really know the, the intentions and the goals of the buyer in the beginning of the exchange, you could, be investing, you could be investing a lot of time, a lot of words, a lot of education that the buyer doesn't want or need. And I, I'm not that patient of a person to begin with. So if you start talking to me about things that aren't relevant, I mean, Jasmine, I'm looking at this Honda in the Honda dealer with my friend. And you know what the first thing he shows me? He opens up the trunk, which you could say, all right, he wants to show me the trunk space, right? But he starts showing me about all the levers in the trunk. Like he literally spends like two or three. That's so bizarre. Like what would make you think this is what I care most about in buying a car? Which leads me to the second point. And the second point is, first of all, I want to understand stage of the buying process. I want to understand what your, your outcomes or goals you're expecting. But third, I'd like to know what your decision-making criteria are in buying the car. What are the three things that matter most when you make this purchase? And I've always taught this to salespeople. You, you, you say, what are the three things that matter most aside from price? Because most people will tell you price. And guess what? For those of you out there listening to the show and say, well, Mark, I, w- I don't know if I would assume that price matters because some people don't care about price. That's true. But it doesn't hurt you to acknowledge that price may be a consideration. It's, there's no downside to it, right? They don't care. They don't care. So what are the criteria, right? So here's an example of an exchange that happened. We go into a different dealership and the dealer says, we, we say we're interested in such and such car. And the dealer says, well, why don't you test drive it? You'll love it. And so I said, well, I don't want to test drive it until I understand the cost structure around leasing for it. Because if it's out of our price range, then that would be a waste of time to test drive it. So you know what he says to me? He goes, yeah, but you should test drive it because you're going to really love it. Totally disregards what we say because it's about his agenda because he's apparently taught that most buyers um, are sheep and that regardless of what their budget is, once they test drive this car, they're just going to throw budget out the window and say, oh, you're so right. I love this car so much. It doesn't matter what I pay for the car. It's, it's, it's just irrational and it's short-sighted. So we're, we're, we're having these experiences. Experience number one, give us all your personal information. It's about them, not about me. 
Experience number two is, why don't you test drive the car? I know you said you want budget first, but why don't you test? It's about them and not about me. Third dealership I go into, we're looking at Audi. We don't know what the price range for Audi is. We hadn't done a lot of research to understand. So we asked the person how much the lease is for this particular Audi we're looking at. He says 600. My friend's price range was 350. So he says, yeah, well, we're not going to be able to get down there to that rate for 350. You know what the car salesman does? Once he realizes that we're not going to be able to buy the car or lease the car from him, this Audi dealer we went into, we had to go up a flight of stairs to go to the showroom. Once he saw we couldn't afford it, he's like, okay, you may forget, but the staircase is down around the corner. Didn't even walk us back down again because we now had no value for him. He made the the unilateral decision that, well, these people can't do me any help or get me a commission or get me any favors. I mean, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. I had a headache. I had a stomachache at the end of the day. And, you know, when people talk about the car buying experience, and this show isn't about buying a car. It's about how to treat people and how to create a buying experience. And so the problem is a lot of people don't have the stomach to go through this experience. And so they don't, they don't like negotiation because it feels stressful and counterproductive. And they're often not assertive because they feel pressured or feel obligated to do something. And if you're one of those people, I don't blame you. Call me up. I'll help you. I'll come buy the car with you. I'll come lease the car. Seriously, I've done that for so many people over the course of my life. I've gone to kind of coach and guide them on the experience because I'm not going to get bullied. And I don't think any, I don't want, look at if you're buying services from me as a coach or a trainer or a speaker, I don't want you to feel bullied or get bullied. I want you to have a voice in the process, feel like you're not a number and feel like it's about your needs and your wants and not about mine. Now, before I get into yeah, yeah. Before before I get into the final piece that's going to lead into the meat of the show today, let's go on a break. And when we come back, Jasmine, great timing. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the absolute icing on the cake, awful experience that capped off the day yesterday, which we'll get into where we're going on the show. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. If you'd like to call on the show, the number is 508-871-7000. That's 508-871-7000. So I promised you the uh, piece de resistance for the experience over the weekend. And basically, um, we, we are at a dealer. And uh, my friend had found a leasing deal online that was approximately $175 a month less than the price that was quoted to us. Now, you're talking a 36-month lease here. So this is like $7,000. I mean, it's huge money, right? So she shows the lease to the salesperson. And the salesperson replies and says, 
wow, that's a pretty good deal. I haven't seen anything that low. Let me take a picture and take it to my to my boss. So the boss comes rumbling out of the office, and I'm intentionally using the word rumbling. And he comes rumbling out of the office, and he says, you know, maybe you guys ought to do a better job reading the fine print. So he starts giving us a lesson on reading the fine print. So I'm already in a great mood listening to this. Talk about, we've, talked, we do, we've just done shows on word choice and tone. And so here he comes giving me, giving me the business about reading the fine print. So I, I said to the guy, I said, listen, even if the fine print on this deal isn't adequate, right, you haven't made an offer that's even remotely close to this. And frankly, the, the other due diligence we had done, most of the sites we had seen were all in the range of about $100 less than the offer he made. So he gets frustrated and he looks at us and he says, okay, well, then how much do you want to pay then? Again, with the tone and the attitude, right? So I said, no, see, that's not how it works. Um, you're going to let us know what your rock bottom price is, and then we'll let you know if that works for us. And so he says, well, if you're going to be that way about it, I recommend you take your shopping elsewhere. This is really what he said. So I leave. Later on that night, around 7 o'clock, the general manager of the dealership calls my friend. So clearly they thought they were calling a bluff. And the salesperson must have relayed to the general manager the awful experience. And uh, he tried to make it right reactively. But ultimately, listeners, what I'm talking about on this show is what is the impression you want to make? Pretend you're not a buyer and a seller. When you're communicating on another, with another human being, you know, we, we talk a lot in our, in our society about first impressions. You know what I care about? I care about first impressions. I care additionally and even more so about lasting impressions, right? And, and so what it comes down to is we all want to make a first impression, but when I walk into uh, anything, but we've been talking about dealerships in this case, when I walk into a dealership and someone greets me very friendly, but the lasting impression is a condescending sales manager um, or a righteous sales manager, well, then my lasting impression is awful. So I think we, we often spend too much time on the first impression, and from a service perspective, we're not spending enough time on lasting impressions. So I want to understand how to help people. I want to understand how to service people. When you're trying to solve a problem or you're trying to purchase something, you have to understand why. Why do I want to solve this problem? Why do I need a new car? Why do I need to buy a new house? Why do I need a new TV? When you're purchasing something, there's a reason. You just didn't wake up out of bed one day and go, you know what? I got to go buy a new house today. It doesn't work like that. There's reasons. What is the current state of what's going on in your life that's leading you to make this buying decision? And and even more important is if you can have an experience where this organization, this company can solve your problem, what's the impact of it? So, for example, if you're buying a new car because your old car is having a lot of mechanical issues, well, you might say, well, the impact is they're not going to have any more mechanical issues. But that's not the impact. That's a very baseline impact. The impact 
is the stress around having car problems, the time invested in having to fix the car and bring it to the dealership or the mechanic, the money spent on the repairs. That's the impact of getting a new car. It's not just the baseline. It's the consequences to the baseline. Now, look. You know, before the show today, this was really funny because I actually looked up, I Googled ideal buying experience just to see what Google would come up and listen to the things that popped up on Google in this list. Ideal buying experience. Make it all about the buyer. Listen twice, speak once. Give to get. Become a trusted advisor. Take the buyer on a journey. Well, in the first segment of the show today, I must have given four different examples of poor service and poor way to treat with. They didn't do any of those five things I just read. How can that be? How can can I look up in Google and in five minutes I know how to make someone feel good and see the characteristics of an ideal buying experience when companies spend hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in training all over the world to teach people how to service and give someone client ex- a great client experience, to give a buying experience, an ideal, warm, long-lasting buying experience. Yet none of these things are happening, yet I don't have to pay a dollar for training and I could pull up those five things in Google right away. So, It seems so obvious, but what gets in the way? We talk about sales emotional intelligence. We talk about general emotional intelligence. Remember the example I gave? One minute. Where buying the Audi, once he heard that my friend couldn't afford the Audi, he sent us on our way down the stairs. Well, that's sales emotional intelligence right there. He he became self-aware in that moment that we couldn't do business with him. Instead of being polite and respectful and creating a long-term experience, he sent us on our way, hence demotivating us and creating a a terrible, lasting impression. So look, when we come back from our next break, we're going to talk about what is the buyer language you have. And I'm going to coach you how to recognize that buyer experience that you seek and how to make sure you form that relationship with the person you're intending or the company you're intending to buy from. So for Mark Altman, this is I Communicate, and we'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about uh, setting expectations and sending messages around servicing others and creating a buying experience. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is uh, Richard Branson of Virgin Airlines has repeatedly said over the years the experience you create for the people that work for you is the experience they will create 
for your customers and their prospects, which makes a ton of sense. So even though we focused on the first half of the show today so much on customers and prospects, it's the same goes for your employees internally within your organization. What kind of work experience are you creating for them? Why do they want to come to work? Are they engaged? Are they passionate about what they do? Do they feel challenged? You know, you look at someone like Jasmine, a bright young lady like her, she could be doing anything with her life. She's choosing to be here because she likes radio. She likes this, right? Well, I mean, I do a lot of different things. This is my Monday gig, and then I do um, home health aid every day. (laughs) So I go in and take care of people, and then I've worked – as a small business manager for a very long time. Wow. So I've worked in antiques for a while. Right now I just started working um, in an aquarium shop as a small business manager helping him out. So I kind of have my hands in everything. And like you said, it's all about how happy your workers are, what kind of customer service they're going to be able to put on. Because yeah. I can tell you on, you know, certain businesses that I've worked at that don't function very well and, you know, have that issue of either you're trying to get your payment out of the person who's coming in as your customer by having a commission or, you know, you have to be there a certain amount of hours every month to get your paycheck. You're always trying to find that balance of how do I make the customer happy, but how do I also make myself happy? Yeah. Right? I think that's really well said. What is this? Real quick, Jasmine, what does a small business manager do? Um, so I'm trained in accounting. I'm trained in a bunch of different fields so I can go in and take your staff and make them function huh. properly. You know, I go in and I do the accounting for the small businesses, all the bookkeeping and everything like that. I'll run your whole staff so that you don't have to, so that the owner can kind of take a step back and I run the business for them without having them have to step in every minute. Oh, you're a jasmine of all trades. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. But trades you're enjoying and passionate about, which is great. Exactly. Yeah. You want to be able to enjoy what you do so that you are happier doing it and you have a better customer service, right? Yep. yep. So, so the reason why I brought that up is because there's a word we throw around in life a lot, either personally or professionally, and that's relationships. We, we love this word. We need to have good relationships. Notice my word choice. We need to have good relationships. Do we want to have good relationships or do we need to have good relationships? Well, the truth is it's a little of both, right? It's both. However, here's the problem with relationships. I don't want to have a relationship with you until I know if I like you, until I know if I trust you. Until if I know what kind of value you can add in the relationship. By the way, that's not to say I don't need to add value and reciprocate. But I'm just saying that liking you, trusting you, and feeling like how you can add value to my life. Yeah, those are three of the things on the top of my list. And so what I don't understand is in an experience, I'm going to take three different scenarios. In the experience of a salesperson to a prospect, you're always told that, consultative selling, relationships are more important than ever. Well, they are, but you have to earn the right to have a relationship with someone. And it's not just are they interested in your product or your service. What what kind of behaviors, values, qualities, or characteristics are you demonstrating that they should want to be motivated to have a relationship with you? If it's, 
in your personal life, well, that's pretty self-explanatory. And if it's internal, leader-to-team-member communication, it's the same thing. If you value relationships, if you're trying to strengthen relationships with your team, they're only going to be interested in doing that in most cases if they can trust you, if your behavior is consistent, if you're adding value to their career, you know, and if they like you. So the first kind of buyer, if you're trying to figure out what your buying language is, you're a relationship buyer. Well, some people will say, I could care less about the relationship. I just want to make sure I'm getting the right thing for the right price. That's okay. But the point I'm trying to make here is that if you're a relationship seller and you're dealing with someone who is not interested in being a relationship buyer, you have a problem. Because your goals are not aligned with their goals in that experience. You ever talk to someone in a customer service capacity where you're, they're trying to troubleshoot or you've called for them to help you troubleshoot something and they just want to start shooting the bull? You know, how's your day going? And ask you all these questions. I, I'm not interested in sharing with them how my day's going. Look, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm a busy guy, just like Jasmine's busy, just like everybody else is walking around busy. So how often when someone starts trying to shoot the bull with you and make small talk, can that customer service person rep- recognize my signals, the messages as I'm sending out, that I'm not interested in having that kind of exchange? So you may be a relationship seller, but is the person you're talking to a relationship buyer? Now let's talk about price. <clears throat> So a lot of people will tell you that certain people are only interested in buying things if they get the price they want. Well, I flat out think that's not true in many, many situations. People will often say they're price buyers because they feel they're going to get taken advantage of. And they want it said upfront and repeatedly through the process that price is the utmost factor when making this decision. But if you assume that when someone says they're a price-sensitive buyer, that that's the only thing they care about, I will tell you that that will almost be untrue. So when you're dealing with price buyers, and this is the biggest thing I see in the way I just said, are you a relationship buyer and a relationship seller? Are you aligned? If you are a price buyer, a lot of salespeople struggle to be emotional intelligent with those price buyers Because they feel like the effort in building a relationship, the effort in serving the customer and community, they feel like none of it matters because it's just all going to come down to price anyway. But that's not true because you're still not going to buy from someone you don't like. A lot of people will get the price they want, but if the experience is bad, they don't trust the company, they don't trust the person they're buying from, they still won't buy from them even if they get the price. And as a matter of fact, They'll end up using the company as leverage so then when they price shop it somewhere else, now they know they can get that price. And because the buying experience wasn't enjoyable or wasn't seamless, not only will you not get the sale even though you gave them the price they wanted, you'll lose it to a competitor and will be used. So we don't want to get complacent. If you're a price buyer, you don't want to throw everything out the window and just simply focus on price. Now then, the third thing you have to ask yourself is, are you a value buyer? You know, if you're a value buyer, 
Everybody should be a value buyer and everybody should be a value seller. When you're buying a product, I want to understand the value of the purchase. Remember I said earlier in the show when talking about different kinds of Hondas. Yeah, well, if you look at like a Honda Passport, there's four different Honda Passports to choose from. So when I'm choosing the right model, I want to know each time I elevate in the model of the car, what am I getting for the additional money I'm paying? What's the additional value I get for that money? So we all should want to know the value of what we're buying and salespeople should be very mindful of demonstrating the value of what they're buying. And I'm going to make one last point before we go to our caller. I say this all the time. When you ask a typical salesperson why they didn't get the deal, they'll say it was too much money. And I'm like, wrong. You didn't get the deal because you didn't demonstrate the value for the money. And the customer didn't see the value in your solution. So as far as value buyers, if you're a value buyer, good for you. Don't change. Everybody should be a value buyer. Okay, with that said, before we get to our final buyer, we have a caller on the show. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yes, welcome to the show. Hey, it's Matt. Hey, Matt. How are you today? Good, how are you? Good, great show today. A um, couple thoughts real quick. So, first off, I think one of the issues, especially with Cargill, is that in their mind, they need a clear win. It's like when, uh, say, Danny H makes a trade, and he's got to get a clear and convincing win. And I think that's their mentality. Rather than, hey, let's both win, you walk away happy, I walk away happy, because so much of their income depends on how much they can generate for the company, which is unfortunately the wrong way to go about it, but I think that's just the mentality. Um, and the other thing... Um, what was the, I, I actually totally forgot my other point well, already. Well, so Matt, while you're thinking of the other point, let me just make some quick comments to what you said. First of all, I love your uh, Danny Ainge analogy. Unfortunately, I've lost all confidence that Danny Ainge even knows how to make a trade at this point. Um, so, so just throwing that out. Actually, Matt, so will you stay on the phone? we got to go to commercial, but will you Absolutely. hang on and we can address this after the break? Absolutely. Okay, so let, let's go to uh, commercial. We'll be back for our final segment right after this. Communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and uh, we have Matt joining us on the line. And Matt, I want to respond to what you said because I think you actually make a fabulous point. This clear win, and I've seen it, and especially with car dealers, it's a huge point. If you negotiate someone down where their margin is so thin or non existent, you can see their whole mood and demeanor change. And, you know, my thing, Matt, about that is this is where the emotional intelligence come in. So you are not any, you're no longer motivated to serve the customer. You have, you have an inability to see the long-term value. I mean, Matt, what about if your margin is so razor thin on the deal, but what about all the service and maintenance money you're going to collect 
on the sale of this car. What about the chance to get a referral? Like, what about that, Matt? Do they do they just simply Absolutely. lose sight of that? Absolutely, I totally agree. And you know, you get word of mouth. You like you said, uh, you know, a repeat customer. Agreed. All I agree one hundred percent with all those things. Uh, but you know, unfortunately. They don't, you know, you mentioned uh, repairs and things like that. They don't get a cut of that. So they're not, you know, that's not in, in their motivation is my guess. Um, but I did remember what I want to tell you. Great. First off, I just want to go to a car dealership with you. Uh, oh, we've watch. got to do it, Matt. <laughs> I just want to watch. Next time one of your friends asks you, I want to just go and shadow. I, I won't even pretend I know you. Uh, the other thing I was, the other actually point I had was a lot of people, especially with cars, um, dealers or I should say salesmen, know they're at the advantage over most people in far, as far as information. Uh, you know, most people don't know the nuts and bolts of a car plus the financing. You know, it's a lot of information to handle, and it's overwhelming, and they know that, and they use it for their advantage. Um, and another, the other thing is a lot of people, by the time they go there, um, are desperate. Either their car's broken down or their lease ends in three weeks or whatever and absolutely need it. And they know that. So, Matt, actually, I think you've touched on something very interesting because this is one of the things I wanted to cover today. You talk about leverage and salespeople are at the advantage and all the reasons you said are, are very true. I want to add something that to that. And I think we're seeing it in the housing market right now where realtors are becoming that way. Realtors are becoming so, many realtors I see becoming very arrogant and condescending because they feel like, hey, you don't want the house? Good luck. Yep. You know? And so- I've got five behind you that do. That's yeah. right. And so so what obligation, Matt? You know, um, in, in the Honda interaction to me was very symptomatic of arrogance. I don't know whether Honda's doing really well right now, but the dealership was pretty full when we went there. So I don't know if they're like, well, Toyota and Honda, we don't even have to sell those. Everybody knows how great Toyotas and Hondas are with the realtors. So what responsibility, Matt, in your mind, does a realtor, does a car dealer who's selling cars left and right have to still service the customer in a respectful, professional, service-oriented way? Well, I mean, it's like any other profession it comes down to integrity uh, you know it's about taking pride in your job not just you know not just churning and burning and making a sale it's doing right by somebody and that comes down to the person you know there are some people like that and there's some arts you know there are some people that take pride in their job and you know whatever it is mowing a lawn and will make sure everything's done very right even though they could probably skip by um, and then there are others that just want to be you know get five lawns done and and get out as soon as humanly possible. So I kind of think that's the individual. Yeah, and, and Matt, you know, one last thing uh, before we wrap up. You know, you talked about um, going back to the beginning, how salespeople know they are advantage. Look, this might be harsh, but my attitude is, look, if you don't want to sell me the car at the price that we've negotiated, don't sell it to me. Yep. Like, if your margin's so thin, you have a choice. You either sell it to me at what we negotiated, and you smile and you service me correctly, or you don't because you're not making enough money and you don't. But if you make the first decision, then, then do it with a smile, will you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it should be one of those things that, hey, if we can't come to a deal, you know, thanks for your time. Yep. Good luck to you. Uh, you know, no hard feelings. Rather, rather than just – and I think it goes back to, the, to my first point is always needing a win, needing to, you know, assert the superiority. 
Yeah, yeah, Matt. Thanks so much for the call. Great call. And, and all right. Yeah, good to good to talk to you. And and I think that you know just one other quick point about Matt, and then we'll we'll make a final point today on the show is this is what I talked about when my friend presented a lease officer a lease offer that was one hundred and seventy five dollars below what they had presented. I think that that sales manager immediately said, well, they, they want to get a rock bottom price. We're not going to make any money on this deal. And because, as Matt said, the clear win wasn't there, his whole demeanor and attitude changed. And I'm sorry, it's flat out unacceptable. It just is. Look, the final, the final buyer example I want to cover before we finish today is, and this is the best one of all, the poker player buyer. Now, I love poker. I'm a big Texas Hold'em player. I love poker. and But but, but the poker player buyer is misunderstood to me because the poker player buyer, it's assumed that they're not going to be authentic, that they're going to not try to you know play their cards, so to speak, and you can't read what they want, and they're going to play games. Um, and I, I just don't think that's true. It is true. Everything, look. It's situational awareness. Some poker player buyers, they might play games. And they might be difficult to read, right? But here's the thing about the poker player buyer. The poker player buyer is disliked. If we're going to really get down to it, it's because they're, they're prepared. What did Matt just talk about? He just talked about a lot of people come in to make purchases out of desperation, And that there's a lot of information to digest and they get overwhelmed and they don't have the stomach for it. So sometimes salespeople prey on people like that. But the poker player buyer really challenges the salesperson. The poker player buyer will ask salespeople questions that they very rarely get asked and they often get flustered or frustrated because of it. The poker player buyer is the one that has done due diligence ahead of time, knows the range of what they should pay for a a purchase or a lease price. They know the key differentiators in the models, and they're not going to get talked into things that don't really matter and paying extra money for it. They know the value of warranties. And by the way, quick example, and I I talk to people about this all the time, warranty. Talk about buying language. Are you a warranty person? Because I have to tell you, if you're not a warranty person, the second salespeople try to start selling you warranties, it's so annoying. You're like, I'm not buying a warranty. I don't believe in warranties. Stop selling me warranties. So instead of selling the value of warranties, why don't you ask the buyer, are you someone that typically values warranties? And if the person's like, "Eh, not really. Yeah, I wouldn't be interested. Then save your breath. But if the person says, you know, I do tend to tend to get warranties. Could you give me a little more information? Well, then you have a point of reference to talk. But the poker player buyer knows their stuff. And they're not going to start. They're not going to roll over. They're not going to get bullied. They're not going to get talked down to. They want to know the value of the money they're spending. They're really relationship buyers disguised as pr- they're, 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 they're disguised themselves as relationship buyers, but they're really price buyers. That's what they're telling. They have, neg- they have done so much due diligence up front 
that they're going to say the right things, but that's where the poker player is. They're, they're pretending they're a relationship person, but it still comes down to price. Poker players use a technique when buying called nibbling. And they just try to pick away. Matt talks about needing a clear victory for the seller. Well, well, poker players want clear victories too. They want to nibble away, pick away. Can I get two years of service thrown in? Can I get um, some floor mats thrown in? Can I get, you know, tire rims, the, the really nice tire rims? Well, that's the nibblers and that's the poker players. They're not going to let you know that you have a sale until they're done nibbling. Till they've gotten every win they can get. So think about, think about who are you as a listener? Are you someone that wants to build a relationship? By the way, this doesn't mean you're not interested in price or establishing value. It just means that you like to have a good relationship with your salesperson or your customer service representative. Why? Because if there's problems after the fact, you want to have an open line of communication with that person and trust that once the sale's over, they're not going to abandon you. So that there is value in being a relationship buyer, don't get me wrong. But is that really important to you that you have a resource, a trusted advisor during the experience and after the fact, then you may prioritize relationship buying. Like I said before, if you're a price buyer, you still care about other things. It's just the message you're sending to the seller is that price is ultra important. And hopefully the, the seller won't take the bait and neglect every other part of demonstrating value in the relationship experience. And if you're a value buyer, that closely marries to the poker player because you want to see value demonstrated to make sure the money you're spending is worth what you want, and it's going to fit your needs and wants. At the end of the day, it's up to the seller to manage expectations, set expectations, and communicate so they can provide you the ideal buying experience. And it's up to the buyer to make sure you're giving the seller accurate information. So that's going to wrap it up today for another edition of I Communicate. This is Mark Altman. For more information about Mindset Go, 978-793-1159. If you'd like to learn more, even for me to shop with a car with you, info at mindsetgo.com. Otherwise, Jasmine, thank you so much for your hard work, and we'll see you next time. Of course. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on full-service radio, WCRN.